This is tape 2503 and today is March the 24th, 2000. First off, uh, from what I was talking about Wednesday, suggesting to you the model that the brain runs thoughts continually, even when we're not using that part of the brain for problem solving, that just the running, the state that mystics call being asleep and that everyone else thinks of as being normal, and I propose to you that could be seen as being the brain's attempt to maintain a sustained sensation in us of there being a, an, an integral, indivisible self. And that even I also suggested you could look at dreaming as being for the purpose of helping maintain this sensation so that we do not awake every morning with any lapse in the sensation of who we are, that we dream about who we are, and the brain is continually talking about who we are. Of course, ordinary people think of it as them thinking about themselves all the time. I didn't get around to one other I wanted to point out. It's been observed thousands of years ago, and even I know that psychology has engaged itself in it in recent in modern times, and that is the question of why men seem so resistant to change. And the easiest offhand or out of hand comment is that we're creatures of habit. It's a nice, comfortable cliche, and it does appear to answer something, because you talk about the programmed instincts of all creatures that we all have in common with all sentient creatures, then you can take the resulting behavior from instinctive wiring and call it habit and say that all creatures are creatures of habit and that that is why men seem so resistant to change. I have another one for you. There seems to be a general dislike for anything new that you're in your life, you're confronted with a new instance. Your girlfriend leaves you. You weren't all that enchanted by her any longer, but as everyone, I assume male and female, you've had someone leave you before, and it seems horrible. Or you get fired, and you have to go to a new job, or you have to move. There is generally a dislike for anything new. I propose to you, that based on the model from Wednesday, you can look at it as being this. That any attention that you have to devote to dealing with new stimuli <laughs> takes away from the brain's relentless support of thinking about itself rehashing the past, dreaming about the future, etc., as I was talking about, to support the sustained impression of there being a you. I like it. 
uh, not all of you sitting here, I glanced around and everybody's face lit up when I said there's a general dislike for the new. Uh, I assume that you can all interpret it your own way. It varies from person to person. It varies from circumstance to circumstance. And you can say, well, I like to get new CDs. I like to hear new music. But there is a general distaste, if you get away from specifics, for the new. People just do not like it. And it has been looked over, poked at, dissected. But I like what I just proposed to you. Also, I was mentioning, I can't resist this. I'm still trying to sneak up upon the wholeness of us and the environment, of us and all of the universe. And I was mentioning books and et cetera anyway Wednesday, and it brought to mind something else, and I can't resist going back to it. Shortly after I discovered mysticism, shortly after I discovered the idea that man is asleep and through certain efforts he can awaken, et cetera, shortly after that, which was my big discovery, my big book, Shortly after that, I discovered the Tao Te Ching, which almost tore off my head for a second time. And the thing had been translated, to the best of my knowledge, I didn't, I did some general looking around, but there was an English translation, it seemed to be in the late 1800s, was the first real published translation of that Chinese work. And it was presented at the time, the translation, as being simply a poetic curio that was presented as a piece of literature. And in the introduction, whoever the man was, the translator, if I recall, I think he was a British theologian, which at one time that was not uh, in conflict with being an intellectual, at least in England. And he did allude to that he thought that this had some uh, aspect, certainly he thought, that uh, in Japan they even refer to, or we in the West, we call an, an activity in Japan Taoism. And from Western views, it's referred to as religion, which what little I've read, and I think I got the grasp, general grasp of it, is really stretching it. But he alluded to, in his opinion, he thought surely since the two names were similar, <laughs> that there had to be some relationship there too. All right, then I, I began to pick up every few years I would see another translation, and it went through a kind of metamorphoses from an, a poetic curio into finally into some translations from uh, at least as late as the 40s when I ran across other versions, was presented as, from some translator's opinion, as being a mystical work. All the way from that early translation that I saw from the 1800s, as I said, the first one I'm aware of, up until the 40s, and even today, there's some newer ones I've read, or read about. 
there was a great conflict over the word thou. And the, from the first translations up for 30 or 40 years at least, and even today I still see it used, the translators who present themselves as being well-versed in Chinese and Chinese dialects of that era, as best they could tell, that they tried to translate into English as the way, that Tao meant way, the way. Uh, to speed it up a little bit, after 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years of those translations, when it got to where translators and the reading public was beginning to take the Tao as being a metaphysical work, even an instruction book, as brief as it may be, that the way became synonymous with enlightenment. That you could either see it as the way to enlightenment, or that when Lao used the word Tao, he meant enlightenment itself, the full awakening to the truth. Finally, somebody, well, they kept arguing over the word. It's one of these things, uh, it happens, that's not the first time, but it happens that translators say, assuming that they are well ver as well-versed as they pretend to be in print. I do not know anything about Chinese. But they say that the word itself, Tao, is literally untranslatable, which is not all that strange. As I said, there are words in English that can't be translated into Chinese. So I'm not trying to make more out of it the word itself. But there began to, or continued to be a debate over exactly what, what's the best tr English translation of Tao. Finally, in the last, after 40, 50 years, several people came up with the notion that it meant one that that was the closest that men in Chinese would be in the Chinese language in that particular dialect. There's no one Chinese language, but in the dialect in which the earliest records of the, the written records of the Tao Te Ching exist, in that dialect, then people began to, some people, translators, began to say that what it meant was one. And then they said, as soon as they would say that, they'd say not one in the sense of a number, but in the oneness of life. The general tenor of that short work, if you, any of you who recall, some of the opening lines, and I'm not trying to actually quote it, but the, the constant theme of it is that the Tao exists, the way exists, the oneness of life exists. So I'll cover everything I've already mentioned of the translations, that it exists and it is what all men seek. But that if you seek it, it'll escape from you because you have never strayed from it. All right, now just me saying that, that is just at the edge of verbal coherency, just enough to make it sound mystical even to ordinary people, no interest in things mystical. 
But for some reason, it has just come back to me in the last few days, Wednesday, while I was sitting here, it struck me, and some of the memories of it began to come back. And I began to, even as I was sitting here Wednesday, to reappreciate it. A thing from which you cannot deviate. A thing that there is no need to seek the Tao. There is no need to seek the way. There is no, well, let's leave it the way for the minute, because that sounds mystical. It sounds as though you're seeking the method to awaken, the path, that if you could find the way, then certainly you should get on the way and you should stick to the way. But throughout it, the author, and by the way, no one can find that there was such a person as Lao existed. Pretty well off the point, but I can't resist pointing out if some of you don't know it. Uh, the thinking of people throughout the world is not totally of a unified nature. The religions of the Middle East and the West, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, all had a founder, and especially the speak about Christianity and Islam, that if you take away the founder, the validity of the founder, then the religion crumbles. That there was a Jesus, there was a Muhammad, and to another extent there was an Abraham for sure, if you want to look at him as being the founder of Judaism. But at any rate, that the validity of the religion depends upon the validity or the existence the valid existence of its founder. Whereas, as far as I can tell, and I think I can tell I read enough, uh, they can't find even a hint of a guy named Dow. They're allowed. There's a story that's usually given that he was supposedly some minor bureaucrat that decided to retire and go off and be a hermit, and he had to pass some toll gate leaving one province to another and some guard recognized him as being a reputed wise man, and instead of charging him the toll, like to leave one province to another, he said, tell me the wisdom. Of course, all this you can take as he was a mystic, or he was a man who had awakened, and that there were other people around. They didn't have the term, they didn't use it, as far as I know in Chinese thinking and literature of that sort. He said, I'll take his payment, write me what you know. And supposedly this guy is already retired from government work on his way to become a hermit, left his home, and that supposedly he went over next to the gate, asked for a pencil and paper, and sat down just as long, and just sat there and wrote the thing out just as fast as he could write. And then got up and had the guy, and that was it. But there's no record of such a guy. People have got down. You know how it goes to make an academic reputation. They can't find one hint of this guy. And there was no real collection and publication of the work until several hundred years later. And as far as I can tell, though, and as far as other translators and writers on it can tell, no one in China or Japan gives a goddamn. <laughs> and I was going to point out, you know, here in the West, we casually and comfortably continually refer to the world's great major religions, we refer to Hinduism. 
And there's really no such thing. And it certainly had no founder and nobody cares. We refer to Taoism in the West as a Japanese religion. And about the best I can make of it is it's a combination, and it doesn't seem to be a secret, of Confucianism, or Confucianistic ideas, and then part of the Tao, and then a whole bunch of stuff that had never been codified the same way as the Vedic literature was around long, 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 long time before there was anything known to us as Hinduism. And it just got to be copulations, one thing piled on another, and they'd stick one thing together, and they'd adopt ideas that they liked. It didn't make any sense to us, that is, to a Western mind that believes there has to be a founder of a religion, because one thing can... Taoism really traces, uh, as far as I have read, really traces the heart of it, or the beginning of it, from Confucian ideas. And Confucius, if there was such a guy, and there seems to be some history of that, but he absolutely would stick people in the eye and grab them by the throat if they would ask about religion and ask about deities because he was considered to be a very wise man. He said that was one thing he didn't know about and that he wasn't dumb enough to fool with. And he said anybody worried about life after death when you didn't have your life straightened out was an idiot and he didn't have anything to say to you anyway. So in other words, he was you know almost a flaming I don't want to say atheist, but I'm trying to make the point. He just absolutely refused to talk about God. He would just laugh about it and laugh about life after death, laugh about concerns about death. He said his only concern was how to live an upright life, which as I mentioned to you Wednesday, uh, you can read it another way. It's not how to live an upright and honorable life as a civilian, to be a good citizen. He was telling you how to wake up far as I'm concerned. But at any rate, so there you've got the root of a religion, which it wasn't, but it's considered to be at the very heart of Taoism. Uh, so you got the heart of religion by a man who's not religious. And it's no secret, but I was just going to point out, as far as the Japanese care, as far as I can, as far as their view of it, as far as I can tell, which is must be somewhere close to it, is they don't care either. But back to the point. In the Tao, it continues to refer to the fact that you cannot depart from the way. And again, I'm not trying to remember it specifically, but I do recall, you know, it's broken up into little couplets or whatever they would be called poetically. And just periodically it pops out that they're on little, the translations I've always read, they're in little, like, little paragraphs, like little news items, four or five lines or some of them, I think were just one sentence. And many of them sound, they start off and the heart of it is about how to live by the way by the Tao, you know, how a man would be behaving, how he'd be thinking, how he would look at life if he were living by the Tao, if he were living, and when you, when you read it that way, when he's expressing it that way, it sounds as though if a man is doing as, living as he should, 
But it says if he was living by the Tao, a man attempting to live by the way. And they'll get to the end, that one little news item, and just every so often it'll point back out that it's impossible to deviate from the way. Maybe you don't appreciate it. Maybe I'm a little... <laughs> but there it was. I, I'm still going to pretend there is, was a guy, Lao. There he is from 2,500 years ago, and you can sit there and read it and think he's saying you something mystical, and nobody seems to notice that just every few pages he reaches out across 2,500 years and pokes you in the eye. <laughs> There's no humor in there, no written jokes, but the thing is hilarious. Well, he starts off the general translation. I didn't plan to do this, but now I got started. The, the opening line, maybe some of you even know it. It's, I know people that can quote it. But it's, you know, there is the way. There is the Tao. But the way that can be identified, the way that can be spoken of, is not the real way. Which preceded Zen, as we know it, by hell many hundreds of years. And there it is. Starts out. There is the way. There is the Tao. And it's always in caps. So as to get your attention, we're talking about something serious here. We're talking about something. We're not talking about you know, a road down next to somebody's barn. There is the way. Period or semicolon. But the way that can be spoken of is not the way. And then he commenced to speak of it, you know, for, for 70 or 80,000 words, but periodically, reaching right out through the centuries and sticking his finger right in your eye, because he started out saying that. Imagine the guy, if the story was true, the guard that thought he was getting something, that Lau had never written anything, and here he was, about to retire, nobody ever see him again, and he said, write me, you know, your wisdom, what you know, and I'll let you pass without any monetary fee. Imagine him. Of course, just imagine that what we're talking about, as always, is the, the thinking that the brain produces in humans ordinarily. Imagine this little old man sits down and says, okay. So he sits down and he writes. And just thinking about the size of that book, I'm thinking by hand, I don't know, what did it take? An hour? I'm guessing I'd be close. He sat down, and within an hour, he had written all this out and handed it to him. And as the guard was impressed to ask enough for it to begin with, imagine he was so impressed that here he's got written in his own hand the only thing that Lau ever wrote, and he's about to wander off into the mountains, never be seen again, and he has it. So Dow gets away anyways. As soon as he gets a chance, the guard sits down and says, I am going to speak about the Tao, the way, the way of life, the way to live, or life itself. And the guard goes, oh, it says, there is the Tao, there is the way, there is the way of life, not the way to live, the way of life, the way that the universe is, the way things are. Yeah, yeah. And the Tao that can be spoken of is not the real one. But there's no report that the guard saw that and went, well, God damn, and threw it all down the ground. You know. well, he saved it. That's considered 
an extraordinary work of art. How can people, how can ordinary people, or how can people who believe that nowadays, uh, I've seen more and more translations. I, well, I've picked up books. I've seen the covers. I know that now there's no doubt that there is a solid core of people would, you know, the mystically inclined, what I call you know, the weekend mystics, not people like me, but that there are numerous translations now, and just you can pick up the covers, and they are mystical books. They're that now the translation, the Tao is taken as a manual for enlightenment, which it was not 50 years ago. Well, I keep forgetting the time, 100 years ago. But think what it says, that there is the way of life, not the way to live. Some people tried translating it that way. There were some translations out that the Tao meant the way to live. And there were people, translators and other people who took it then to be that that was one of the, or that was the initial realization that the Tao might be a mystical handbook, might be a handbook for enlightenment, because that, then that, there were some who translated the word Tao to mean the way to live. But then some others came along and said, no, nah, it means the way not to live, but the way of life. But I would take it further if somebody hadn't. Because I know what it meant. Assuming again, as I always do when I talk like this, that if there was a guy named Lau who wrote this, I'm assuming he understood what he wrote. I'm assuming he understood at least as much as I got from the, that as much as I can use the words that he wrote. The way of life is the way things are. The way of life is what you know when you catch on to what's going on. And it's not something that you can teach anybody. It's not something that you can describe because the universe cannot describe itself, the Tao cannot describe itself. So for someone to say, for Lao to say that the way that can be described is not the real way, which is another way if I'm throwing you off, it's like the great secret work or mysticism, the way to awaken that can be described is not the real way to awaken. The way to achieve enlightenment that can be talked about is not one that will actually achieve enlightenment. But to think about it in the terms between me and the translators, I take it that there is the way that life is. And that everyone, what they seek. Of course, with ordinary people, you say happiness. With us, or with me, when I read it that way, when I first, well, the first time I ever read it, I took it just like this. That it's saying that the way to awaken The way to escape this state that I was already, since I'd read it described as being asleep, was the way to get out of the state, the condition of sleep, is to live via the Tao, to live in accordance with the Tao. I thought, yeah, that's it. Except then, he would say, next sentence, next page, he would throw back in that it's impossible for a man to deviate from the Tao. Now, if you want to take it as path, what it's saying is you can't get off the path. 
And then he throws in at least once or twice a, a little bit stronger in the English translations that uh, even if you try. <laughs> so it starts out like here's a road map to live according to live in harmony with the Tao. Now, it would obviously be awake. Well, it certainly wouldn't be asleep. How to live in harmony with the Tao. How to live in harmony with life. How to live in harmony with the way life is. Okay? And he goes on, he talks for a while, and he points out that should a man try, should a strong man exert all of his strength, should a wise man exert all of his wisdom, no matter what a man does, even should he want to, from the Tao he cannot stray. I can't believe people hadn't torn the book up and thrown it away years ago. <laughs> yeah, I can. Because especially weekend mystics, that, that is just self-referential. Just enough, just idiotic enough to be intriguing. But they don't get it. Like people don't get Zen. They think Zen's a joke, the way it's written, assuming there is such a thing as Zen. They feel at the point of Zen and Zen stories and Cohen's is something to show the insanity of life, to show the foolishness of life. Which, you know, that's all right, but they don't get it. The worst favorite story, it seems, when I told, I didn't make it up, but this was an old, the old Zen story about the guy, you know, the master that no matter what question he was ever asked, he'd hold up one finger. Do I remember that one? <laughs> I remember finally somebody came to visit him and asked a question, he held up one finger. After all the years of doing this, then this one guy looked at him, pondered the matter, and then he held up one finger back. And the master whipped out a pocket knife and cut his finger off. And was, the guy was holding the stop. He went, why in the hell did you do that? And the master... <laughs> For you people on tape, I just held up one finger again. Does anybody... In fact, I didn't, never did even ask Worth because I, I assume he did. But does anybody get it? Does anybody know that there is the mystical system? There is the Tao? There is everything? If it, evidently, most of you get something. I should, the story should have had a little more verbally, at least I would think from a Western view, or at least from my view, based on me talking was that the master held up one finger when a guy came and asked a question such as uh, how, what is the best way for me to achieve the knowledge of what's going on? What's the best way for me to awaken? And the guy held up one finger. And the visitor kept, you know, and he looked and he looked off and he looked puzzled. And finally the master spoke and said, well, don't you get it? Go think about it. And the guy goes off and thinks about it. 
can't get anything, and then just kind of a smart-ass thing comes back and knocks on his door. Mystic bites me and says, well, did you figure it out? And, they, and then the guy holds up one finger back to the master. And the master says, so that's what you got? And he says, yeah, and then he cuts his finger off. <laughs> and then the guy says, why the hell did you do that? And then he holds up one finger again. Does anybody get it that way? If the guy had gotten it, he would have gotten it. He wouldn't have gone off and thought about it. Because there's nothing to think about. You know, one is one. If you hold up one finger and you looked at the person like, huh? Huh? Whatever the question was, you hold up one finger. And the questionnaire looks at you. Curiously, you'd assume in most cases. But the master, without saying anything, he just gives you a look. You know how to give a look. You're like, you go, hmm, 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 hmm. You either get it or you don't. If you don't get it, you might as well cough off your finger and ask yourself, well, what the hell did it mean? That <laughs> no, means you shouldn't have done that. Because <laughs> you can look at cutting off the finger as you separated the integral dowel. You divided, which the brain did, you didn't do it, but the brain in thinking divides us from everything else divides man from his environment or looked at to me at least for the time being as far as I care to talk about it at the basic level of being able to communicate it must divide what the mind talks about what the brain talks about into this and that it's not possible to have language without there being without the brain making the visible comparisons. No right, wrong, true, false, this or that. You can look upon the master cutting off the guy's finger. It's trying to get him to see that every time you ask a question, every time you believe there's an answer, you have cut yourself off from being awake. That if you didn't do that, you would still be on the dial. Or as Lau would put it, for me to interpret him with his permission. You can't leave it. All you can do is think you've left it. He never did say that, but that's what the whole book is. I guess he figured that he wouldn't get across the border free if he just wrote a one-sentence thing. <laughs> you cannot deviate from the way. You cannot deviate from the way of life you can only think you have. And even the ter term to return to the Tao is not a return to the Tao, it's just a, an awareness of what has always been. I'll put it to you another way. There is a oneness in what everyone thinks of as being your mind which is really an activity. It's thoughts rather than a thing. There is a oneness in there that people do not notice, and it's there. And when I say a oneness, I don't mean just philosophically speaking. There is a oneness in the sense that 
this room has one floor. It's only got one floor. Above the floor level, all sorts of movement can go on. Same way as in the universe, I point out, movement goes on, motion goes on, but things don't go anywhere. The universe doesn't have anywhere to go, as far as we can tell. In the brain, movement goes on, but it doesn't travel. That's what I meant by pointing out that thoughts go in to the temple of wisdom, and thoughts come out. And they come out just like they went in. You go in for no reason. You go in for what you think is a reason. All I need to do is read a little bit more, think a little bit more about what all this is, and I've almost got it. Which I've never tried to add to your troubles by talking about it, some of you. But I'm going to tell you, that is the height that I found a frustration is to believing I'm right, I'm almost there. What is the missing piece? There's got to be a missing piece. If I could read one more book, if I just think about it more, if I just apply myself more, if I spend more time thinking about it, all you can do is take yourself out of the Tao. All you can do is have your finger cut off. All you can do is cut off your own finger. What I started to say, there is a floor to thinking. And above the floor, like in a room, All of us people here in the room, without leaving this room, we can create a great deal of activity. We can all get up and change chairs. We can pick up the chairs and move them around. We can psych up the chairs. We can dance. We can lay down. We can stand up. We can run around in a circle. There can be all sorts of movement inside this room, but the floor does not move. There is a similar situation inside the very thing that we believe we're working on, the mind. There is a floor in there. I found that useful. I didn't, again, I didn't plan any of this tonight. And I was going to use that finally in something else having to do with the illusion, the sensation of us, of each person being in some way, separate from the environment. The reality of a floor inside consciousness, inside the mind, at the bottom of thinking, the realization of that to some degree, I submit to you, I tell you, is what caused, what brought about the development of meditation. As somebody realized what I'm talking about, and I know I'm not being very specific tonight about that one thing, but there is amidst 
amidst all the activity that goes on in your consciousness, in your mind, the non-ending flow of thoughts that the brain produces. Right now, I just forget why, but it's there. And if you are completely submerged in it, you are what has always been called asleep. And it doesn't matter what it's called. I assume that you like, would prefer it otherwise, and there have been a state of it being otherwise, and you would prefer it otherwise, and that's why you're here. I say that long ago, there's no doubt some people realize what I'm talking about, that there is a midst at the bottom. I sort of like that. That's why I use the floor to myself as a metaphor. But at the bottom, the floor of thinking is stable compared to the activity, the continual activity that is thinking. And that from that realization, years ago, spring, came the idea of meditation, the Zen of sitting, trying to calm the mind, the ideas of a continual self-awareness, the ideas of an eternal mindfulness, they all came from that realization. Anyone who'd listened to me for a long time would not be without their rights to believe that I have, let's say, more or less poo-pooed sitting meditation. And I have made, I guess people, well, I know some people would say that because I've had people write me and believe that I've made fun of the attempt to self-remember. Well, I've had people accuse me of making fun of everything. But, but specifically, it's not a matter of making fun of it. It's not a matter of saying that it's not worthwhile. But I'll tell you what's better than all of that is to understand the basis of such notions existing. I have no doubt that there have been people who sat for years and years and years on some sort of, like in a monastic situation in some Zen monastery, for instance, that did achieve something that they considered to be worthwhile after years of effort, that they did get some glimpse of what I'm talking about. I don't know what they made of it if nobody described it to them or if they didn't do it on their own. That's one of the me personally, I always considered the problems, and I tried to point out to you, if you have a firm mental framework for what you believe is the aim of what you're doing, and then you experience something extraordinary, then you've had to explain to you beforehand, and you think, well, that's it, I'm awake. Then what? <laughs> if you believe you're awake, you're not awake. which sounds almost as good as we're all struggling to live by the Tao, but should you even try, you cannot from the Tao deviate. That is the floor I'm talking about of the mind. How about this? 
it would appear to be probably the most common description, verbal description of what it would be to be more awake or to be enlightened would be to have the mind stilled to where it is just, and then there's a handful of descriptions like that, but to where then one's mind or one's consciousness is simply a placid, clear reflection of what is going on about one. Register of what's going on without the interference of prejudicial thoughts. Ask yourself this. Does the mind really have a preference whether it's excited and active or calm? And the answer might seem obvious at first, and I say it's not. You can say what is common in you, but I'm asking you, can you find, can you answer this? Does your brain have a preference? Well, I want to put it mind. Makes it sound... Does the mind have a preference? Does the mind, does the mind have a preference to be stilled? Is that what's driving us? Because mystics have always said, and I agree with them, I can't fight that description, that if it was taken as being the codified mystical description of the aim of all of this, if we said that the one aim would be to calm the mind, to bring the mind under control, or even stop random thinking, Take your choice, but to control the mind. I can agree with that. To calm the mind, I can agree to that. So that would seem to be no doubt that that is what has driven those such as us for years and years, and even us. But I ask you this. i try it again. Can you answer this question? Don't anybody hold up one finger. <laughs> or don't anybody, raise your, don't anybody raise your hand and say, yes, I can answer that. If you can feel the inclination, go in the bathroom, at least metaphorically, shoot yourself. <laughs> but ask yourself this question. In spite of the aim being to calm the mind, to stop the chattering of the mind, to stop the running wild of the mind, in spite of all that, in spite of me agreeing that, yeah, I could accept that as a reasonable description for the aim of this, I ask you this. Look at it in you. Does your mind really have a preference whether it is calm or active? I know that, quote, you can say, yes, I'd prefer that it was under my control would calm down. I know that, quote, you, end quote, can say that. I'm asking you. Is there anything? Can you make any sense of it? Is there any hint? Forget anything you ever read. I'm telling you, look at it yourself. In you, can you say that your mind, you know what we think we mean when we say the mind, does your mind show any taste? Can you tell for sure once you've looked at it in this way? Does your mind prefer to be always jumping around like a flea on a stove? Or does it? I mean, is it obvious when you look at it that your mind has a real taste like, well, let's stop this. <laughs> that that's why, you know, it's, it's good that I'm in you since you're a mystic because I'd prefer to become. I'd prefer to be that placid surface of a pond. 
so that I would reflect in an enlightened, in a non-prejudicial, in a non-preferential manner, the moon, the sun, the birds, life as it is. Yes, yes, that's it, says the mystic. I ask you again, look right into yourself and ask yourself, does my mind, leaving out all the quotation marks, you know, going, going home with the illusion that there's a you and then there's the mind. But ask yourself, does my mind, does it have a taste? I mean, you got to know. Does it have a taste? Does it have a real preference? A taste for this agitated state? Or is it, can I, is it really there a taste for a calm, still, quiet state? The day that I came upon that, it down there woke me up again. But you got to do it. You got to do that one. There's not really much more that I can say about that. Well, is anybody prepared to enjoy the annoying concept to try and keep it before you that's impossible to deviate from the way. <laughs> Only possible to think about having deviated. Quit if we're going to use the history of literature. It was almost simultaneously, but within a couple of hundred years, you had Buddha popping up. Whatever it was, 3,000 miles to the southwest of Laos, him saying the same thing, that everyone has Buddha mind. Everyone is Buddha. And people talk to him and say, you are Buddha. And they'd say, well, I can't be. I'm not like you. What's the difference? They'd say, well, I know that I am. The only thing lacking is that you don't know that you are. Of course, God knows how many people wanted to stick their finger in his eye after that. <laughs> Speaking of that, I didn't have a new joke for you. Uh, I read a proverb that just came to mind. You forgot why. The attribution was, it's a Jewish proverb. I'd never seen it, never heard it. Don't know the age anyway. It said, if God lived on earth, people would be breaking his windows. You know who those people would be? People who have deviated from the Tao. But they can't. I, I know that, but they think they have. <laughs> if you think that God, if he was living down the street, that he deserved for you to sneak up there at night, after all you know, what's going on in your life, and for you to pick up rocks or wait for him to leave so he wouldn't catch it and throw and break out his windows, What's happened? 
He can say, well, you don't know all the bad things that have happened to me lately. Small-time mystics then could jump in and say, well, if that be true, don't blame it on the gods. Don't blame it on fate. Blame it on this. You have lost your way. You have strayed from the way. You have strayed from the Tao. And many other would-be mystics go, well, you're right. That's not right. Not according to Lao. And now I'll join in. I'll support him. You can't deviate. All you can do is think you have. Has anybody's mind already challenged me putting it that way? Like, well, I don't think that I have. <laughs> I, I don't think about that I'm deviating. Okay, I'll go ahead and I did it for you. Now I'm going to answer it. Do you think? Yes? I'll rest my case. Unless you know what's going on, or as Tao would, well, as mystics would have it, unless you're awake, unless you know what's going on, I'd prefer, then whatever you think, whatever you're thinking, everybody, whatever you're thinking, you can almost count on this. Well, under ordinary condition, you can count on it. Whatever you're thinking is some deviation from the way. That is the purpose I propose to you, one of the purposes, describable purposes, of thinking. The brain producing what we call thinking is to create this sensation. Now, I keep saying a sensation that there's an us in us, but what I've been working up to is also tied to, you can look at it the other way, it creates the impression that we live in something, that we live in a, an environment with characteristics, that we live in an environment that we can identify. And how can we identify it? And of course, ordinary people would be laughing at all this already, but the point is, you identify it by the characteristics outside of you that differ from you. As soon as you've done that, you haven't deviated from the way. You hadn't gone out of the universe. But is, when the brain produces thinking, the thoughts have already deviated, apparently, from the Tao, from the way things are. Because if they did not, you wouldn't try to change how things are. The thoughts, the consciousness, the thoughts, that the brain produces in man would be wasted did not the thoughts result. People don't think about it this way, but did not thinking result in this that we feel cut off, separate from the environment. We have deviated from the way in thought. Of course, I don't know whether I'm driving all of you crazy tonight or not, but any of you who are following it, you realize even that's not true. If you had a man standing next to a pig, you could say they're both, literally, they are both living according to the Tao. 
Now, I could say they both have Buddhahood. They both are awake. And you could say, well, something's fishy because there's a difference between a man and a pig. Yes? The man doesn't know he's awake. Of course, the pig doesn't know he's asleep. I'll say this and I'll stop. I get a vague impression. Maybe you people out on tape, I don't know that, but I was running some of you in too tight a circles tonight. I can tell you this, I have found to be of great use. I've talked about it a thousand ways and other people have too, but I've talked about it on the basis of how I understand it myself. Not telling you something that I read. Is no matter what you're thinking, and you catch it, you should not be kicking it. This is at the heart of me saying, ask yourself, does your mind? That's funny. In one sentence, you and your mind. <laughs> Does your mind, look at it, does your mind have a preference as to whether it's thinking or not thinking? Whether it's still or it's active? Whether it's agitated or placid? Of course, whenever you're getting sharp, you're supposed to somewhere sotto voce to yourself be thinking, does it have a choice? <coughs> Not bad, not bad. At least you're doing something. If you can ask, if you can realize that, does it have a choice? To try and awaken, you have to have, you have to be a person of great preference. All the mystical literature, the same as religion. Of course, religions could say is they stole it from mysticism. But as we all know, the mysticism, it constantly, all the systems say, what a task you've undertaken, that only a man who applies himself rigorously, only a man absolutely dedicated, soul, heart, spirit, mind, body, to achieving enlightenment will ever experience, ever even has the remotest possibility of achieving this great feat. But a man must be relentless. He must be dedicated. He must understand his precarious position and be constantly on guard and prepared to struggle against it. Yes! And I speak, as I've already admitted, I, I have surely the, I feel like, it doesn't bother me anymore, but I may be the dumbest, densest person that ever undertook this. But it doesn't bother me anymore because now I say I've had more fun now, I won't go any further, but I would say that I've kicked myself around worse about being asleep than I would assume all of you put together. I just, I feel pretty confident. It did not accomplish one thing. Well, that's not true. It all accomplishes one thing. It accomplished whatever, wherever I am now. 
But anytime you are kicking yourself around about being asleep, you're fast asleep. But it seems like that's the only time that you are not totally asleep is when you catch it, right? When else is a man forgetting out of the states, the extraordinary ephemeral states of being awake, those experiences, that just day by day, minute by minute, someone out living life as we are, not in a monastery, not devoting yourself full time supposedly to the struggle to awaken, out in life, when, under just routine conditions of all of us, when are you the least asleep? When are you the closest to being what you want to be? What you, what have you considered to be, to being awake? is when you catch yourself. Well, at least I realize, damn, I have been completely drowning. I have been submerged. I've been gone. There's not even the illusion of a me. Ever since that person insulted me, ever since that guy cut me off, 20 miles up the expressway. But at least, here I am again. At least I got it down. Jesus, how stupid can I be? <laughs> you know, I, I, was just, I was just so asleep. The thing is, well, at least right now, I'm not fast asleep. I've been trying not to tell you people this. That's an illusion. It's, it's a bit more refined an illusion than it is when you're asleep. See, it's like you, you think, well, I deviated from the way, but at least I caught myself. <laughs> yes, but you're away from the dial right then. No, but I caught myself. Now, I understand that. Watch it, I'll hold up a finger. <laughs> it may not be the index this time. <laughs> All right, I'll put it to you another way. And if you don't want to take this literally, assume that it is at least in part metaphorical. You have my permission. It's all right to go. I don't know for sure. I'm guessing maybe 40, 50 years, maybe one lifetime if you believe in reincarnation. I say that for somewhere between 40 years and one lifetime, it's permissible to make constant, vigorous efforts. And I'm speaking from my experience of trying to awaken and believing that you have done something when you catch yourself being asleep, when you catch yourself not being alert, when you catch yourself not being mindful of your own mind, not being reflective, not being aware of your own thinking. I'm guessing from 40 years to one lifetime, it's all right to do that because for one thing, it passes for progress for one thing, it keeps you going. But somewhere between 40 years and one lifetime, somewhere beyond that range, you've got to see what's going on. You do not catch yourself being asleep, which is what Lau was saying. You can't deviate from the way, even if you tried. And of course, then people want to go, but forget people. Think about it. It's you dealing with yourself. But if you say it to people, then people, if you say it's impossible, you can't deviate. You cannot not live by the way, even if you tried to. And some interested people listen and go, 
Well, what the hell can I do then? About then, I don't know whether Lau knew it, he should have held up one finger. <laughs> what I started to say, now we'll quit, but that I used, and I, I don't see any end to it, I don't see how you can wear it out, is whenever you catch yourself, however you think about it, assume that you could think about, the, well, there I was fast asleep. I assume everybody knows what I mean and you have your own way of looking at it or maybe you use those terms. It served me well for 40 years or more. Well, I was asleep again. Is there a time you catch yourself doing that? Or what I, the way I, once I saw what was going on, is try this. Is I'm telling you, do not have a preference. Do not treat that you caught yourself. Be aware of that. But extract the preference. I'm trying to save you time. I was going to leave you with look at yourself and find out whether your mind has a preference. Let me go ahead and tell you because it's not going to hurt you. Keep looking because you're not going to hear it, I don't think, when I say it. Your mind doesn't care whether it's awake or asleep, as we call it. It doesn't care. And you can say, well, yeah, that's pretty obvious. It's me that cares and it that don't. Come on. God damn, where have you been? Because you want to say, I know what you want to say is, well, hey, you're just pointing out the obvious. This is insanity. You've gone backwards for 40 years. I know it doesn't care. Obviously, it doesn't care. It doesn't notice. I don't know what the hell is wrong with it. I do care. If it wasn't for me, I wouldn't be doing anything. Get a grip, sir or madam. <laughs> and this is one way that I found interesting and useful. As I'm telling you. Check it. See if I'm right. See if I'm wrong. Your mind doesn't care if it's awake or asleep. And don't just say, well, that's obvious. No, no, no. You don't get it. Trust me. That's my St. Q's present. Yeah. I'm telling you it doesn't care, and that doesn't sound right. So check it. You know it's a trick. I don't know how else to put it to you. Try and look at it, because that's what I did. I had to trick me. That's the only way I've learned anything. Because I'm bragging now saying I tricked me like I knew what I was doing. I just kept trying to do the impossible. Well, I'm telling you, what I saw behind it, really, I can still, it's one of those things, again, I'm telling you, that floored me. There was so much energy in it, so much meaningless information, me meaningful information. As I realized, this thing I'm wrestling with my mind about, well, damn, I'm asleep. My thoughts, I got all carried away. I got identified and captured by an insult, by some event, by some memory. Jesus, you know, my dog just ran out of the yard. The damn thing's wild. And it's always chasing cars. People shouldn't drive loud cars or offensive cars by my, damn. And one day it hit me that my mind has no taste whatsoever. My mind has no preference. My mind Literally, I don't, I don't want to turn this into a sermon. I just saw it. And I know the words are not conveying it. That's why I'm encouraging you to look at it. As I suddenly realized, my mind has no taste whatsoever. You know what I mean? I say, it does not care what it does. None. It has no preference. It just has no taste. It's not crude. It's not sophisticated. Because that would you know, indicate either taste or lack of taste. 
It has no taste. I'll give you one of my guarantees. When you see what I'm saying, it'll knock you out of your chair. It'll make you jump up and right side and smoke even if you don't smoke. It'll make smoke come out of your ears. Well, you can see it makes me grin just remembering what, the way I saw it. And that is the words I, I've thought about it before ever trying to tell it to you, and I didn't plan tonight, but here it is. Is my mind has no taste whatsoever. And that's not an attack. You gotta remember that. It's not an attack like we'll get some taste. <laughs> you don't think better stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know. That sounds right. That's that fits in with saying, well, at least I should be thinking about that. I caught myself asleep. So at least that's better than just being asleep and just being completely out of it. Yeah, I know it seems that way. Let it go for 40 years. I shouldn't say that to you people. All of you are overdue. You've let go too far already. Don't use me as an example. Your mind, what you think, but your mind. The relentless flow of thinking produced by the brain that, that also gives us the coherent sensation of an integral self, of a mind. It does not care what goes on. And yet, it seems to be, when you look at one way, it seems to be nothing but prejudice and opinion. And I point that out. I've used that description. That's all it is, is a bundle of prejudice. In the real sense, a bundle of preferences. It prefers the truth to the false. It prefers to think correct thoughts than incorrect thoughts. It prefers to have valid facts other than specious facts, whatever the hell they would be. That's not true. Your mind has no preference whatsoever. Doesn't anybody get the implication of that? After all these years, won't you trust me enough? Stick your nose in there. Just for the next few days. Just keep trying to look and, you know, what the hell do I mean by that? Because it's right there. You don't need a book. You don't need anything. You can do it on the way home. You could be doing it right now, but if I shut up and you're in the car driving home, and just watch where the mind's going, the kind of stuff going on. Shouldn't be anything new to you. But then, think about what I said. I said, look at it, and I'm telling you that your mind has no taste whatsoever. Your mind has no preference. I don't know which one will help you the most. Maybe your preference. Your mind simply does not care what it's doing. Literally, literally does not care what it's doing. And when I said the implications of that, I mean, of course, the what's at the bottom of that is sleep blowing. And yet, don't you want to sit here? You know, something like this, or if you get a little bit, and if I, if I shut up, or if I just get up, that you might sit there and lean your forehead on your hand, and you know, and you think, what? And you think, Jesus, and you almost got something, and you think, damn. Wow, and maybe even you have a flash of, maybe you met so-and-so, maybe, wow. <laughs> the closer you feel you're getting, how about this? I'll really leave you on high. 
at your stage of the game, the closer you feel like you're getting, the further you're drifting away. How about that? Now we all feel better. <laughs> Except remember this, Lyle told you the truth. You can't leave the way. No matter what you do, you can't leave. Damn. Well, why does it seem like I do? What do you think I've been talking about for the last hour? Uh, I don't know. I'll think about it. Give me your finger. Don't think about it. Look at it. Hey, wait a minute. Is it still on? Well, I still didn't get it. Take exact. Just. And I say, look at it. Try this. If it doesn't make sense, let me, let me just make a statement. I'm telling you the truth, and then look at it. You not only don't care what your, your mind doesn't care what it thinks, but you can sense what I mean by the floor of the mind of thought. If you will quit, if you'll try your best, but just have this in mind to try to do it, that it be your plan to do it just because I say to, is to stop feeling. Try to stop the feeling. It's in the head, it seems, but stop the feeling of disliking being asleep. That is, when you catch, well, I was asleep. My thoughts had completely taken over. My mind had run wild. And we don't like that. I assume you don't. I don't like it. I don't know why you're here if you don't dislike it. Stop. Try to stop the thing of disliking it. It's the same thing I'm saying is to look at the fact that the mind has no preference. Thoughts, that is, the mind seems as busy. There's motion, and it seems as busy is the universe, is the movements of the heavens. There is some business going on. It's just far from us. But there's plenty of motion, but it's not going anywhere. That's why I say you people are past the point that the closer you, you just know, well, I'm so close, it just irritates the hell out of me. I just know I've about got it. You've reached the point that the closer you get to about having it, the further you're drifting away. You begin to stick yourself in the eye. Try what I said. Try to abandon disliking catching yourself asleep. Don't, don't stop trying to catch it. Of course, I don't know how you could do that by now. now. That's like I used to wonder about people. I could see how frustrated they were getting, and then they would disappear. People have been around here for years. And every now and then I think, how did they figure they helped themselves? Assuming that all those years they were halfway a mystic, that they were halfway in to some degree with my kind of interest, how would giving up help? Of course, what I'm really saying is, I don't think it's possible. I can't believe that they're not more miserable than they ever were. Well, at least I quit having to go to the damn meetings. Yeah. So I didn't have to hear somebody talk about it. Yeah. If you can quit trying to wake up and that and that cures it, you never were trying. <laughs> if you can quit, you never did start. So I'm saying, you can't, I don't have to tell you this, you can't stop not trying to catch yourself. You can't stop not trying to reel the mind in to calm the mind, to blank the mind, to just be aware of you, to just be mindful. 
to be just aware that I'm conscious. But notice you have a feeling of dislike about it. You prefer not to be in that state. Who says? Look at it. I'm telling you, your mind doesn't. And you can still say, well, yeah, but I do. We've been through that. It is a great benefit if you can find out how to do it. It's to stop disliking not being awake. Not in theory, but when you catch yourself that, ah, oh, there I was again. It's trying not to dislike that. All right, I'll go ahead and tell you this. You'll be surprised how easy that is to do. And not only does it not interfere with doing it, it makes it more efficient. It makes it easier. That's enough lies for one week.